The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. We've got a lot going on in the sports world tonight. The last night of the NBA until the All-Star break festivities. we got some duels going on in Daytona. Yes, sir. In case you missed it, and by the lack of conversation in this city, most of you have, the Daytona 500 is actually going to be run on Sunday. We will certainly get into that, and what, if anything, NASCAR can do to remedy that. Uh, Boy, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody. You know, back in the days of Jeff Gordon and the Labonte brothers and Ernie Irvin, Mark Martin, Dale Jarrett, Ricky Craven, you name it. I was fired up. Now, maybe a lot of that had to do with my uh, love for the PlayStation NASCAR game. But I honestly had to be reminded a couple of days ago that the Daytona 500 was on Sunday, the great American race. I'll watch it. I'm excited about it now that I know it's this upcoming Sunday, but that sport has uh, certainly taken a hit in popularity, or at least in conversation, and we'll get into that later on. Also, the XFL, for those of you interested in that sort of thing, they kick off their season this weekend as well. We got a lot to do. Guest lineup looks like this. Even though it's the month of February, there is a ton of local college football news. From Mike Norvell getting a contract extension over in Tallahassee, and whoever would have thought that six months ago, to Todd Munkin being gone as the offensive coordinator of Georgia, he goes to the Baltimore Ravens, Mike Bobo, the former Georgia quarterback, back as the OC at the University of Georgia, to Texas and Oklahoma entering the Southeastern Conference a year early, to the scheduling of the SEC coming out. And we're going to talk to Matt Hayes of XL Primetime and Saturday Down South about all that. It certainly looks, certainly looks, and Matt will dive more into this in about 25 minutes, that the SEC is going to go to nine conference games per year. You'll have three teams that you play every year to keep those rivalries, and you'll have six rotators so that if you play four years of college football, you will play every team in the SEC twice, on your home field and on their home field at least one time. And CBS Sports wrote up a really good article this evening. If that is indeed the case, who would the three permanent games be for each team? Gator fans, I will tell you, and I'm not sure you're going to like it. That's coming up in just a bit. So Matt Hayes at 820. At 9 o'clock, we will go to Gainesville, and we will talk about a very unfortunate story last night. Jacob Rudner at 247sports.com covering the Florida Gators as Colin Castleton broke his hand last night in the win over Ole Miss. Probably signifies the end of his Gator basketball career. Not many games left this year. Probably not going to the NCAA tournament. You're not going to recover from a broken hand in three weeks. So uh, an unfortunate ending, it appears, for Colin Castleton. We'll dive into that. And Todd Golden's first year down in Gainesville. Also a little spring football talk. 
Gators a couple of weeks away from getting out there for spring number two for Billy Napier and that staff. And then finally at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Gilbert Manzano, brand new writer for Monday Morning Quarterback and Sports Illustrated. I've known Gilbert for years. He covered both the Rams and the Chargers out in L.A. He's now national with Sports Illustrated. We'll preview the Jaguars offseason and look at some of the big topics around the NFL as the offseason is officially underway. So as you can tell, we're loaded. We're with you till 10 o'clock, Jacksonville, and we are glad you are with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. A couple of Jaguar-related topics and one Gator-related topics. To the Jaguars, Jim Bob Cooter. Maybe the best name in the National Football League. Certainly in the running. The passing game coordinator here in Jacksonville. He's had interviews in Tampa for their offensive coordinator position. I believe Carolina at one point showed some interest for the offensive coordinator position. And now Shane Steichen, the brand new coach in Indianapolis, wants to talk with Jim Bob Cooter about the Colts' offensive coordinator position. This is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a bad thing because you don't ever want to lose anybody from the staff. Doug Peterson built a great staff. Obviously, some great minds in that offensive meeting room with Doug himself and Mike McCoy and Press Taylor, Jim Bob Cooter, just to name a few. But it's good in the sense that other teams see how successful Jacksonville is, and they want to bring those minds to their organization. That hasn't happened here in a long time, man. A long time. Why would anybody want to hire any Jaguar assistants away from the Jaguars? They wouldn't. Why? The team was terrible. They're not terrible anymore. They're good, and they got good coaching. So it's unfortunate that you're going to see this more and more, guys getting interviews and guys ultimately leaving to take other jobs. But it's good because other teams want guys on your staff. So we'll see about Jim Bob Cooter. But again, he's already had a couple of interviews. Indianapolis has now requested permission to talk with him. He's a good coach. At some point, he's going to land one of these coordinator jobs. And if he does, if he does, we'll see if the Jaguars do anything to replace him or if they'll just move forward with Doug Peterson, with Press Taylor, and with Mike McCoy. Mock draft season is in full effect as well. CBSSports.com today, Josh Edwards. One of our guys here on Hacker After Dark. I'll actually probably try to get Josh on next week. We haven't talked to him in over a month. He had a mock draft out this afternoon. And it's hard to mock players to the Jaguars, right? They're not picking number one this year. It's a lot easier to do a mock draft when you're in the top five as opposed to Jacksonville, who's in the mid-20s. But I'm seeing a trend when it comes to mock drafts. And it doesn't take rocket scientists to figure this out. Two very prevalent positions for the Jaguars. I've seen a lot of offensive tackles, and I've seen a lot of tight ends. And obviously, the thinking there is that either Jawan Taylor or Evan Ingram, or both, 
will leave in free agency and the Jaguars will need to draft their replacement. Again, I think that is a whole conversation. That could be a couple of segments. Who is more valuable moving forward? If you could only have one back, who do you want, Evan Ingram or Jawan Taylor? But for the here and now, talking about this mock draft from CBS Sports, they have the Jaguars going Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah. And the one thing that strikes me about that, that's a name you see an awful lot connected to Jacksonville. I am willing to bet you if you go look at CBS, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Pro Football Focus, all the big websites and all their mock drafts, I'm willing to bet the name you have seen the most associated with Jacksonville is Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah. Now, there could be a couple of reasons. Guys are copying each other in the mock draft industry, which does happen, believe me. Guys think Evan Ingram's going to leave, so they know the Jaguars need to draft a tight end. And all those reasons are viable. Those absolutely could be the case that Kincaid keeps getting mocked here in more mock drafts than he hadn't. Or people around the league are hearing things in the Jaguar building. That's the other one. It's smokescreen season. It's rumor season. It's believe at your own peril season with rumors. But you see an awful lot of Dalton Kincaid being mocked to the Jaguars. No offense to Dalton Kincaid. I'm sure he'd be a great player. I want the Jaguars to re-sign Evan Ingram. And I'm pretty sure you, the Jaguar fans, want the Jaguars to re-sign Evan Ingram. I think that of the three guys that we have spent the most time about, in-house free agents for the Jaguars, Ingram, Taylor, and Arden Key. If you tell me I could keep one and I lose the other two, I'm keeping Evan Ingram. I am surrounding Trevor Lawrence with as much talent as possible. With the knowledge that I still have Walker Little two more years on his rookie contract. So I'm going to knock on wood that Cam Robinson comes back healthy. I'm going to move Walker Little to right tackle. And then I'm going to have to find me a swing tackle to replace Walker Whittle. Because obviously Walker Whittle would no longer be your swing tackle in that scenario. I hope they can keep Jawan Taylor. And I do not want Jawan Taylor to go anywhere else. But if it's an either or, Evan Ingram or Jawan Taylor, I want Evan Ingram. That's where I'm at. And uh, if I were a betting man... I think that's probably where the Jaguars are at, too. Because you do have Walker Whittle. You don't have much at tight end. Do you realize right now that if the season started today, the only tight end under contract for the Jaguars is Luke Farrell? Evan Ingram is an unrestricted free agent. Chris Manhurts is an unrestricted free agent. Dan Arnold is an unrestricted free agent. I think you bring Ingram back. Maybe you try to bring Manhurts back. I would seriously doubt you bring Dan Arnold back. I think he'll get a lot of interest on the open market. More on the Jaguars coming up in just a bit. I did want to get into, like we talked about a little earlier when the show started, Colin Castleton last night breaking his hand in the win over Ole Miss. Just a devastating blow. I mean, you want to talk about a classic 
Gordon Soley shot to the solar plexus. For Gator fans, Gator basketball fans, that's it right there. There is no question Colin Castleton is not only the best player on the team this year, he was the best player on the team last year, and arguably, arguably, (laughs) maybe the best big man Florida has had since Patrick Young. He's third all-time in the in the school in blocks. The guy was a double-double machine. It's unfortunate they didn't win more because what Castleton did will be, unfortunately, easily forgotten because he will have never played an NCAA tournament game in Gainesville. But what a transfer he was coming in from Michigan. He couldn't get on the floor in Ann Arbor. Averaged one point a game. He comes to Gainesville and again, maybe the best big man they've had since Patrick Young. I mean, I'm not going to go crazy and say that he's Patrick Young or Horford or Noah. I mean, obviously we're not there, but he's on that tier right below him, man. He's a good player. He's been a good player for two and a half years and he breaks his hand last night and is likely done for the season. I'm no medical professional. But I can't imagine you can come back as a basketball player from a broken hand in three weeks. I don't know. Maybe you can. Miracles of modern medicine. That, to me, seems far-fetched. So I shouldn't say it like it's fact. It's not fact that he's done for the year. But again, a broken hand, three weeks to go, that, to me, doesn't add up. My Wolfson High School education that does not add up in my mind that he would be able to come back in that short amount of time. Good win for Florida last night in basketball. Again, unbelievably overshadowed by the injury to Colin Castleton. We will go to Gainesville later on in the program, and we will talk Gator basketball, a little spring football as well. Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators. Matt Hayes, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. You read his terrific work, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt and I used to butt heads when we were on together, but I think being away makes the heart grow fonder, Denmark. Getting into my personal feely side. (laughs) Love talking ball with Matt Hayes. Absolutely love it. And we're going to talk Mike Norvell contract extension. Mike Norvell, by the way, you know, six months ago, Florida State fans, you were ready to run him out of Doak. And you know you were, and I know you were. Don't sit here and tell me, oh, I believed in Mike Norvell. You did not. My left foot, you believed in Mike Norvell. But to Mike Norvell's credit, I bet you believe in him now. If you're a Florida State fan, would you trade Mike Norvell for either Billy Napier or Mario Cristobal until this very moment where apparently I am a cocky and an arrogant Florida State fan. Yeah, look, I get ripped about that, but I'm going to give Mike Norvell credit. He's the right now, right now on February 16th, 2023. He's the best college football coach in the state. Florida State fans, you wouldn't give up Mike Norvell for Cristobal or Napier, but I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet you talk to your Gator brethren that wear and bleed the orange and blue. I bet some of them would give up on Billy Napier for Mike Norvell. 
And I wonder if the folks in Coral Gables would trade Mario Cristobal for Mike Norvell. That was a laughable comment six months ago. I'm not laughing now. We'll talk about the Mike Norvell contract extension. We'll talk Athens, Georgia, the Bulldogs. They lose offensive coordinator Todd Munkin to the NFL. He's now with the Baltimore Ravens. Mike Bobo, who caused me a lot of pain as a teenager when he quarterbacked Georgia to that win over Florida in 1997. He is back as the Bulldogs' offensive coordinator. How will that come into effect with Georgia and a new quarterback, likely Carson Beck? We'll talk with Matt Hayes about that. Georgia's schedule is pitiful, by the way. If you're going to have a year to bring in a new quarterback and bring in a new offensive coordinator, this is the year to do it. The Bulldogs' schedule is a joke. Joke. Look, they're the defending two-time national champions. You can't really rip them for much, but I'm going to rip them for their abysmal schedule. They're going to be 20-point favorites in probably eight or nine of their 12 games. It is a cake schedule for the Georgia Bulldogs. We'll also talk Texas-Oklahoma. Why did the SEC want them in a year early? They got them. It cost them $100 million, but they got them in 2024. And what will that mean for scheduling? Gator fans, as sure as the sun has risen, you knew every fall for the last 30 years, Kentucky and Tennessee and South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Georgia, and then when Missouri came in a decade ago, you knew you were going to play these teams every year. Better enjoy it in 2023 because it will change in 2024. How will it change? Who will remain on the Gator schedule? Who will come off of the Gator schedule? I get the sense some of you may not like the ideas being floated around. We'll do all that. Matt Hayes, Saturday Down South, and of course right here on XL Primetime on 1010XL. He's next as it is a Thursday night. In Jacksonville, Florida, with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you, and Jacksonville, as always, we're glad you're with us. Now, yeah. another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. There is a ton going on in the world of college football. The news cycle never stops, including... A lot of stuff going on here locally with both Florida State, Georgia, even a little bit of Florida as well. For the very latest, Matt Hayes, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also read his terrific work over at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt, it's been a little while, man. How are you? Doing great, Hack. How are you, my man? Matt, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And since the last time you and I spoke, a lot's gone on. Let's begin in Tallahassee. Boy, who would have ever thought six months ago even – a brand-new contract extension for Mike Norvell, now signed through the 2029 season. Boy, what a turnaround job there for Norvell in Tallahassee. He, it's phenomenal. It, you know, he walked, walked into a very difficult situation, you know, where one guy, where the original guy just gave up and left, and then the next guy tried to fix it and didn't do a good job of trying to fix it on the field, fixed it off the field. Then gets into then he walks into that situation, Norvell, and you know he's bereft of talent, and he walks into the COVID situation, and it's just been an uphill 
slog for him ever since. And what a great 10 win season last year. Um, you know, you can, I've heard people complain about it over and over about what, you know, look at the 10 wins. It's not like they beat anybody. I don't care. It's still 10 wins. It's still proving that he can get to that level. And more than, more than anything, it's proving to recruits that he can get to that level. And I mean, high school recruits and transfer portal recruits. So I think he clearly deserved it. Um, the only question I would have as far as Mike Novell is, you know, he's done this with a majority of the transfer portal guys. Now, the question then becomes, is it sustainable? Can he continue to hit? He's hit basically three straight years in the portal. So, and it looks like he's hitting this year, which means the third. Um, the only question is, can, can he sustain it? What, what happens if he hits a year where it doesn't hit? And, and then you've got to rely on high school guys. And as far as high school recruiting, he's still trying to play catch up. He is. I mean, look, he's in the top 20 for the high school guys. But like you said, he's consistently in the top five in the transfer portal. That guy has mastered the art of the transfer portal. And now here in 2023, Matt, the ACC does their thing where they're getting rid of the divisions. So Florida State doesn't necessarily have to beat Clemson at Clemson to make the ACC championship game. I would think that's a lot better scenario for them. I think that Clemson-Florida State game we might see twice this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, Hack. Every time we say that, and, and believe me, I'm guilty of it too, you know, there's always something else that happens, something something crazy or something weird that happens. Um, but, yeah, looking at it right now, I mean, honestly, I, I think what Clemson did, and I wrote about this uh, today, actually, at Saturday Road. You can go, go read it. You know, what Clemson did this offseason, they, they had the biggest addition of all this offseason. It had nothing to do with the players. It's Garrett Riley, the, the OC and quarterbacks coach from TCU. He will completely change Kate Klubnick. They will be a different team offensively. They will score. They will go up and down the field. They will have tempo. It'll be a lot like they had um, prior with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Um, I don't think Klubnick's at that level as far as talent with those two quarterbacks, but he's a very good player, um, and they'll be different. They'll be a lot different. So Clemson, I think, is going to be very good this year. Florida State's just got to be in a situation is, can they eventually compete with Clemson on the lines of scrimmage? That's the question. Can they get up there? and block that defensive front four and front seven that Clemson, you know, has every single year that gets after you. And I think that's where Florida State is with Clemson. I don't know that they're there yet. And typically you get there, and this goes back to high school recruiting, Hack. typically you get there with elite guys that you develop through high school. That's how Clemson's gotten there. That's how Georgia gets there. That's how Alabama gets there and Ohio State. Um, the teams that are consistently among the elite draft elite high school D linemen and, and develop them. And, I don't think – well, clearly, Florida State's not there. Jared Versa is a terrific player. He's a guy they got from the portal. But you've got to get those interior guys. You've got to get those edge guys. You've got to get those linebackers off the edge. And Florida State doesn't have that. And, and offensive line-wise, they've got to be able to protect. And, you know, we'll see if they can do it this year. You can listen to Matt Hayes every day here on 1010XL on XL Primetime. You also read his work on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt, the Georgia Bulldogs, some news uh, earlier this week, Todd Munkin – leaving, going back to the NFL to take over the offensive call duties with the Baltimore Ravens. What does that mean for Georgia and Mike Bobo now back as the OC? What does that mean for Kirby Smart and the dogs moving forward? So, Hack, I don't understand the angst. If I were to tell you that the guy you had was going to be your quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator and play caller, developed and produced the four the – four, before Stetson Bennett – the four greatest quarterbacks in school history. 
Why would anybody be concerned about that guy coming back and being your offense coordinator, play car, quarterbacks coach? Because that's what Mike Bubba did with DJ Shockley, with Derek, with David Green, with Matthew Stafford, and with Aaron Murray. And the Georgia offense was phenomenal in those years. It wasn't the offense that was the problem with Georgia all those years. You know, Georgia, there's, there's been two teams in the history of Georgia football that averaged more than 40 points a game. This past Georgia season and Bobo's, I think, 2012 season. And that, that team averaged more than this, this year's te- team average. So they will score points with Bobo. He will develop quarterbacks. Carson Beck will have a giant year with them. I don't understand the angst. I get it. It's, you know, the, the whole line is Bobo's hiring his best friend. He's also hiring a hell of an offensive coordinator, too, a guy that has a track record. So I, I think they'll be fine. Well, and you look at it, too, and look, Georgia is the king of college football. Far be it for me to say anything negative about them, but I am going to criticize one thing. Is it their fault? No, because I think Oklahoma was originally on this schedule and they came off because obviously Oklahoma is joining the SEC next year now, uh, which we'll get to in a moment. But Matt, this Georgia schedule in 2023, brother, it's, okay. a, it's a joke. I mean, they'll be a 20 point favorite probably in nine of their 12 games. But I will say this it's absolutely cake. Okay. Absolutely. If something weird happens, and they lose an SEC game that's going to prevent them from getting to the SEC championship game, that's going to be a problem for them. That non-conference schedule will be a big problem. So, I mean, it's – now, look, you and I doubt that's going to happen, right? I mean, I doubt that South Carolina is going to be 6-1 and one in the East and, and they're only lost to someone else, but they beat Georgia, right? That's, or Florida the same way. So, but it could, it could affect their seeding in the playoff. Yeah, absolutely. It could make them – if they win the SEC um, – it could make them a four seed, or if they lose the SEC championship game, let's say this hack, they're unbeaten and they lose the SEC championship game. And there's three other unbeatens, uh, you know, on the table. And there's one other one loss. Who's got a better record than them, a, a better schedule. I should say, I mean, what do you do at that point? Do you, do you take the team that lost the SEC championship game and has a terrible non-conference schedule that at some point could affect them if they get to the, a situation in the postseason where they're being matched against someone as far as resume. Now, again, do we think that's going to happen? It's doubtful, but who knows? Matt, final Georgia question. is I mean, it's Carson Beck, right? And, and, and the folks you talk yeah. to up in Athens, are they confident yeah. with him? Yeah, they're very confident. I, I, I mean, heck, he was, the, he was the top backup in 2021 when JT Daniels started the year. Remember, it was JT Daniels, and he had the uh, – I guess it was the Raising – oh, Zaxby's, that's what it was. He had the Zaxby's NIL, one of the first NIL deals, and – he was the Heisman, leading Heisman Trophy candidate. He gets hurt, you know, first before the first game against Clemson. He has that, you know, core injury. Then he gets hurt again against against Vandy, I think it was. And instead of putting Connor Beck in the uh, uh, back into the game, Carson Beck, that staff thought, okay, wait a second, we're safe with Stephen Bennett. We know what we have because he played the previous year. Let's put him in, and we'll see where we go there. And then Stetson took off. So Beck was the number two. He was the number two that season. Um, and they just felt safer with Stetson Bennett. And then Stetson took the advantage, seized the opportunity, and, you know, the rest is Georgia history. It's a nice moment, too, for a local kid. Mr. Football here led Mandarin to a state title. A lot of guys would have transferred. In fact, I would think 99% oh, yeah. of guys would have transferred. Beck did not, and now he finally looks like he's going to get his opportunity. A couple of more for Matt Hayes. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You read him on Saturday Down South. Dot com. Matt, $100 million, that is a lot of money 
And that is what it took to get George or to get, I'm sorry, Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC a year early. Why was that such a big deal? Why did the SEC want that to happen? Well, I mean, as much as anything, Hack, because they didn't want to start the new playoff season, which is with 12 teams and new 12 team playoff in 2024 without their full complement. And they weren't going to agree to the playoff, the new 12 team playoff. And again, you got to remember, everybody, ha- all, 10 conferences and Notre Dame have to agree on changing the format of the playoff for it to change during this contract. Okay. And if any one of the 11 said no, they couldn't change it. So while this wasn't public, I can assure you that the SEC made it very clear to the big 12, which desperately needed the 12 team playoff. We're not agreeing to the 12 team playoff unless Texas and Oklahoma are part of the SEC in 2024. You can do it however you want to do it. You can play it however you want to play it. You can say publicly, we let them go. We're not agreeing to this playoff until that happens. So that's why it happened in 2024. The SEC is not going to start that playoff, that 12-team playoff uh, new format without a full complement. And as much as anything, they're also not going to allow the the Big Ten to have that 16-team full complement with USC and UCLA who will arrive in 2024 and them not have their full 16-team. We're just over 18 months before Oklahoma and Texas will actually play a game in the SEC, but the schedule traditionally comes out October the previous year, which means the SEC has roughly eight months, right, to figure out schedule. What are you hearing, Matt? Nine-game conference schedule? Are they getting rid of divisions? Are we going back to talking about the pods? I mean, that's going to become a reality pretty soon. What's the SEC going to do there? So they had their coaches' meetings last week in Birmingham, their annual winter ones. They're, they've, heck, they've been talking about this and doing these models for a long time, since, since Texas and Oklahoma arrived, uh, officially arrived, not, not in the league, but officially said we're going there. Um, my guess is you're gonna, it's going to be complete by the SEC spring meetings in Destin in May, and you're going to see a nine-game schedule, and you're going to see three permanent opponents and six rotating opponents. And, and that way it allows – if you're a high school student, you go into school, you sign at the University of Georgia, you will be you will be able to play over a four-year span every team in the SEC, both home and away. And that's what they want more than anything. Now, there's believe me, there's a, a minority core of, of schools that don't want the the nine-game schedule, that want the eight-game schedule. And there's a, in the smaller minority of schools that still want divisions. Divisions is not happening. That's done. But but the they're, they're, the the idea of pushing for eight games is a big deal because some of those schools realize that they need those home games, especially those home gimme games. You know, it's 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 finance and it's wins. So there will be some fight about that. There's no doubt about it. But I think they'll eventually settle on the nine the nine game schedule and the three six format because that's not only best for everyone in the league. And again, this league has always been and always will be what's best for everyone, not what's best for one or two, which is why. They share all the money equally. Um, what's best for everyone and what's best for the league and what's best for the league moving forward with their new contract, which again, they're going to, the contract that starts in 2024 with ESPN, where they're the, the, uh, the, the number one and only provider of SEC sports, um, that will be redone as well. Because once Texas and Oklahoma enter the league, then you're talking about a completely different contract. Uh, that contract will be reopened and increased exponentially would be my guess. Uh, that's pretty big news. So from a Florida standpoint, Matt, if it is indeed the three constants and the six rotators, I assume you try to keep traditional rivals. Does that mean Florida obviously keeps Georgia? 
Would they keep Tennessee, South Carolina? How do you see that playing out? So it's, I, I think a lot of it is they want to keep at least one, the, 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 you know, one team will more than likely have, look, this is the game we cannot get rid of. Um, and then you try and keep as many traditional rivalries as you can. You try and keep it as competitively balanced as you can. But no matter how you do it, there's going to be one team that gets, you know, that's going to get hit hard or another team that won't get hit hard at all. Um, my guess is Florida and Georgia will that that's they're, they're going to keep that game. Um, you know, the Alabama, Tennessee will keep that game. You can go down the line. You're going to see games that, that will be kept and you know, they're going to be kept. Um, Texas, Oklahoma will be a game, things like that. Uh, you know, Arkansas, LSU will probably be, be a game as well. So you look at the rivalries in the league and you can see that. Like if you're asking me what Florida's would be, my guess is Florida would probably be is either going to be L, is either going to be is going to be Georgia either LSU or Auburn and probably South Carolina. That would be my best guess. But there's, I mean, believe me, there's, there's literally fighting going on right now, Hack, among the the schools about what their three are going to be. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about the Auburn. So you think that even if you're not a non-traditional rival right now or non-traditional game, that with the 3-6 format, your three constant could be a new game that you don't normally see. 100%. 100%. I mean, wow. I, I know Florida, I know Florida fans would love Tennessee, but you have to take into account that if Tennessee is Tennessee and Alabama, you can't start loading up Tennessee. <clears throat> Florida fans would love to see Florida and LSU, but if LSU is your your you know, your number one, you can't start loading up LSU with teams. If if you start to look at the threes, if for each school, there are teams that will start to get loaded up. Texas A&M you start to think, "All right, well, Texas is a lock." And you got to they got to play Oklahoma. So then you're at Texas and Oklahoma. Then what's your third for Texas A&M? You know, is it going to be a, a typical West team in the West part, West geographic part of the league? Are you going to go back over to the East? You know, and have that odd situation where it's Texas A&M and South Carolina. So it's there's a lot of different factors of play right now. Hack it's it's you don't want to load up a team. You don't want to give a team make it too easy. You want to make it kind of geographically similar. So there's a bit of a rivalry there. So so fans can travel to these games without having to get on planes. Like, you know, if, if Texas A&M is playing South Carolina every year, like they do now, you know, that's not an easy, that's not an easy lift for fans to get from one place to the other. So the idea is to kind of make it where it's easier to have that geographic type of rivalry. Final moments with Matt Hayes, Matt, final question. We got 90 seconds. We'll do more of this when Florida enters spring ball in about a month. Uh, But what I love about you, man, you don't sugarcoat a whole lot. Uh, if you're a Gator fan listening tonight, I mean, they got problems, right, coming into the 2023 season with that schedule and the quarterback room. There's not a lot of optimism, at least with Gator fans I talk to. You know what? As far as the quarterback, talks to me after the spring portal, which opens May 1 for 15 days. Now, what that means, Hack, is for those 15 days, if you want to be in the portal, excuse me, and eligible for the 2023 season, so you can go in the portal from May 1 to May 15. It doesn't mean you have to go to a school in that amount of time. You just have to be in the portal. And then June, July, August, you can figure out where you're going. So there are going to be other quarterbacks in the portal there, all right? So can they get someone that's a better fit than Graham Mertz? If you're a Florida fan, I would think you better hope so. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now, I would say this. you know, I, I know Florida fans are hoping for Garrett Nussmeyer or you know, maybe one of those Georgia quarterbacks. That's fine. You could probably, you might be able to get him, but he's not going to be eligible in the fall. 
That's the one thing the SEC did. The SEC added this rule where you cannot go from the spring portal. Okay, once you're out of the winter portal and you don't make a decision and you go through spring and you go through spring ball, you cannot practice within, you cannot transfer within the SEC and play the following season. So they'd have to sit out. Now, granted, it's a rule. It's also where any of these guys could go to the NCAA and appeal it and say, because the NCAA is above the SEC, when no matter what they say, they can go and appeal that. And then we'll see what happens. But um, that's going to be a – if you're going to get a quarterback, more than likely if you're Florida, it's not going to be from the SEC. It's going to be from somewhere else. So I would start looking at quarterback battles outside of the SEC in the spring that don't go someone someone's way. Maybe maybe like Devin Brown at Ohio State who's competing with Kyle McCord for that starting job. He's a former top 50 recruit. Um, you know, he's a redshirt freshman. And if he loses to McCord, you know, he's probably – is he going to sit there for two years at Ohio State? I don't know, especially with the way Ohio State recruits quarterbacks. So he could leave. And that's actually the reason why Ohio State added Tristan Gebbia from, from Oregon State, a fifth-year senior, because of the possibility that something might happen a little funky with their quarterback group. So you can look all around the country and see these quarterback battles. That's probably if Florida's going to add a quarterback in the spring portal, that's probably where it's going to come from. It'll be interesting. Certainly, uh, look, Jaden Rashad of that fiasco, but it is what it is now. It's Graham Mertz, it's Jack Miller, it's Max Brown for the time being. And like you said, we'll see if they add one during the May transfer portal. Matt Hayes, every day on XL Primetime. Of course, Saturday down south as well. Matt, you're the best, man. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Okay, brother. Good talking to you. There you go. Matt Hayes here with us on Hacker After Dark. And I want to expand on what Matt and I just talked about, this whole idea in the Southeastern Conference that you're going to have nine conference games, three constant games, if you will, three teams you play every year, and six rotators. Florida, Georgia, what could it look like your three every-year opponents? CBS Sports did a really interesting write-up on this. We'll talk about it next here on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you, a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. So we know Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the Southeastern Conference. They will start playing football in the SEC September of 2024. So we are 19 months away, a little under, 19 months away from the actual games being played with a 16-team SEC Super Conference. But for those of you that follow the SEC, you'll know that the schedule comes out way, way before that. The schedule normally comes out in October the prior year. So the SEC has about seven and a half or eight months to figure out what they're going to do with this schedule with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. And if you just heard my conversation with Matt Hayes from XL Primetime, he is of the belief, and again, Matt has covered college football for years, that that guy's good, man. He talks to a lot of people around the sport. He is of the belief that by the time the league meetings happen in Destin in May, there will be a firm understanding by all the universities as to how the schedule is going to work. CBSSports.com did an interesting write-up on this 
uh, I believe either last night or this morning, essentially laying out what could work as far as the brand new schedule. What we have known for the Florida Gators and the Georgia Bulldogs and the Alabama Crimson Tide and Tennessee and, and Auburn, you name it, forget about all that. Schedules for all those teams are about to change and change drastically. Here's what CBS Sports did. They are going with the most logical model and the model that everybody seems to say is going to be the one that has landed on. Nine conference games. You only play eight now, so you would go to nine. You would have three teams that you would play every year, traditional rivals, etc., and you would have six games that you rotate. And the idea there is that if you play a full four years in college, you'll play every SEC school at least twice, one time in your stadium, one time in their stadium. This absolute nonsense of Alabama not coming to Gainesville for a decade will be over, or Georgia not going to College Station for 11 years will be over. That is all going to go to the wayside. So with that as the backdrop, this is what CBS Sports did. They used a nine-game format, three permanent opponents, and six rotators. For the Florida Gators, they said the three permanent opponents were going to be Georgia, that's a no-brainer, South Carolina, and Kentucky. That would mean that Florida, under this scenario, would lose... LSU as an every-year opponent, Tennessee as an every-year opponent, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. All of those would be gone as every-year opponents. Their logic for taking away the Florida-Tennessee game is that Tennessee has too many rivals. That's what they say. The Vols are going to keep Alabama. It's one of the oldest rivalries in the South. The Vols might keep Georgia, but that's questionable because Georgia wants to keep Florida and Auburn, and Tennessee would have to lose the Gators because for some reason Tennessee wants to keep the Vanderbilt game. Well, I know why they do. They win that game every year. I'm sorry. When I think of traditional rivalries in the SEC, even though they're in the same state, Tennessee and Vanderbilt really does not come to mind. Denmark, I'm 14 years older than you, so I'm curious the generation question here. If this were to come to fruition and Florida plays Georgia, South Carolina, and Kentucky every year, just like they're doing now, but you lose the LSU game, you lose the Tennessee game, you lose Missouri, you lose Vanderbilt, would you have any problem with that? Uh, I mean, I'd rather play LSU and Tennessee, but I don't have a huge problem with it because you're going to, you're going to rotate these teams a lot more. Uh, we were just saying during the break that, you know, you would only see Alabama come in 2010. You didn't see them come again to Gainesville until 21. So with this new system, you're going to see the teams rotated a lot more. So I don't have as much of a problem with it. Yeah, If you play six rotators, you will play every team in the SEC once every two years. So even though you won't play Tennessee under this scenario every year, You'll play them every two years. And that's the idea. You spread the wealth a little bit. I mean, Florida and Ole Miss are in the same conference and they never play. Florida and Mississippi State are in the same conference and they never play, but once every seven, eight, nine years. So that would not 
be the case any longer. Uh, and no divisions. Look, that's interesting. The ACC's doing that this year. It'll be an interesting trial run. You want that? Uh, you know what? I'm so used to divisions that I don't know what it's going to be like without it. I mean, all right, so you don't have any divisions, right? It's 16-team free-for-all, essentially. So what would happen if Alabama has one loss, if Georgia has one loss, and if Oklahoma has one loss? You go by the the college football rankings. Yeah, but and then I I think that might lead into problems. Well, I mean, it happened in the Big 12 and 08. Remember when Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech all had one loss and they all beat each other up. See, with divisions, there's no arguing. There's no belly aching. There's none of it. You play games on the field, and as a result of those outcomes, you decide whether you play in the SEC championship game. You control your own destiny. If you lose one game in a 16-team super conference, you no longer control your own destiny. It would be a weird scenario, and I'm not real fond of change like that. I think I have to see it. I have to see it play out for a year or two to be able to make a better, I guess, judgment as to what it's going to look like. But wrap your minds around it. Gator fans, Bulldog fans, Crimson Tide fans, what you have known schedule-wise for the last three decades is going to be ending after the 2023 season. 641-1010 is the phone number, both on the phone line and on the text line, designed by Lifetime Enclosures. It is a Thursday night. Here on Hacker After Dark, let's go to Gainesville, Florida. We'll talk a little spring football. We'll actually talk a little Gator baseball. As Kevin O'Sullivan and the boys, they think they got a really good team this year. They get underway this weekend. But clearly the big story, at least today in the world of Gator athletics, was the broken hand injury sustained by Colin Castleton last night and the win over Ole Miss. The Gator basketball program loses their best player probably for the year, and that would mean the end of his career at Florida because obviously he is in his last year of eligibility. Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators. We'll talk Castleton, spring football, a little Gator baseball, and more. That's next on Hacker After Dark. Now. Yellow. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Last night, the Florida Gators got a big win on the basketball floor. 14-12 and 12 on the year. Now 7-6 and six in conference after beating Ole Miss. But the win came at a very, very heavy price as Colin Castleton, clearly the best player on the Florida basketball team, one of the best big men that's played at Florida in quite some time, a broken hand, as was reported last night. And it appears, I mean, you do the math on this, with the lack of games remaining, that might mean the end of Colin Castleton's career there with the Florida basketball program. Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, down in Gainesville, joins us here on 1010XL. Jacob, thank you for the time, and uh, boy, there's no sugarcoating this one, man. What a blow for the Gator basketball program. 
Yeah, no doubt. You know, thanks for having me, Ryan. Wish I was uh, joining you under better circumstances. But there, there really is no question that this is a devastating blow for Florida. Uh, as you mentioned, kind of the heart and soul of this year's basketball roster uh, relied upon more than any other player. Uh, and, and a guy who was also an emotional leader for this team on the court uh, who can hopefully continue to provide that. Uh, in some capacity now that he is almost certainly done for the season. But there is no doubt that this is a uh, a huge blow, a backbreaking blow potentially for Florida on the court uh, and, and just a sad overall situation for the player himself. You know, it's interesting, Jacob. Look, I'm not going to go as far as to call him Al Horford or Joe Kim Noah, but let's be honest. In the last, you know, 15 years, you talk about the big men at the University of Florida. Colin Castleton's right there. He came in from Michigan, was only playing – sparingly up there, I think averaged one point a game his final year in Ann Arbor. He came to Gainesville and in almost three seasons was just dynamic. Uh, what he meant to this program over the last three years can't be understated, and it's really a shame that it appears that it's come to an end in this fashion. Yeah, it, it is a shame, and, and I do think that, like you said, this is a guy who will go down as one of the better big men in Florida history. Uh, his three-year career – in Gainesville was truly special. And I would say that this season uh, was a nice bow on his college career, despite how it ended uh, just, you know, uh, Florida's leading scorer with 16 points per game, uh, leading Florida in rebounds in steals in blocks. He is the second uh, player on the team right now in terms of assists, which is just so rare for somebody of his position and size and near seven footer uh, is a guy who is, pacing the sec despite not having any more games to play most likely for himself uh is pacing the sec in game mvps by ken palms uh, evaluation of each game uh this is a special basketball player and, and and a guy who has meant a whole lot like you said uh to this florida program he's third all time in blocks uh just a historic player truly and 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 somebody who i know just based on the reaction over the last basically 12 hours fans are really gonna miss and so uh, it's a shame it had to end this way, but I don't think it should overshadow just how special a career Colin Castleton had with this team. Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jacob, again, there's no understating this. It's a devastating blow, but the schedule continues, right? They're not going to stop playing because of the Castleton injury. What can be done now for Todd Golden and this Gator basketball team? How on earth? do you even go about starting to figure out how to replace Colin Castleton? Yeah, it's, it, there, let's start here. There's no doubt it's going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to replace in any capacity Castleton's production. I think what the team is going to look to try and do now is not necessarily replace, but just adequately fill in. And the best way I think they're going to be able to do that is with a hodgepodge of players. Jason Jatobo should see an increase in minutes over the remainder of the season. He actually did quite well last night over about 12 minutes at the end of the game, filling in for Castleton. Uh, Todd Golden immediately praised Jatobo uh, in his post-game press, uh, press comments. Uh, that was good. I think that Jatobo is, is probably the leader in this situation. Uh, freshman Alex Shimchik, who has not played a whole bunch, it, it joined Florida from Germany over the offseason. Uh, he is certainly somebody who could see some time. Now off the bench, Alex Fudge is somebody who I think Florida uh, might try and put into that center position to also give them some minutes. 
And besides that, I think that the depth is really going to just have to step up, uh, not only at that five position, but at the four. The power forward will be very important to kind of add some of that rebounding potency that Florida will no longer have with Castleton out. Uh, and so guys like C.J. Felder, who we haven't seen in over a month, uh, could return and I think play a pretty pivotal role uh, in the final weeks of this regular season. But replacing Castleton uh, is a near impossible task. So to be clear, I, I, I do think that things will look different. I think that Florida will have to use a number of players uh, just to kind of keep pace roughly with what Castleton was giving them. But this will not be uh, an easy stretch for Florida to close out its year. Jacob, it was a good win last night over Ole Miss, 14-12 and 12 on the year, 7-6. and six. But let's be honest, that's underwhelming to a lot of Gator fans. I mean, how would you assess year number one of Todd Golden so far? I won't lie to you, Ryan. I think that there is an element to this season that is a little bit underwhelming. I think fans, like you said, would have loved to have seen a more impressive record. Uh, but I would be lying if I said there weren't things that I was impressed by uh, right out the gate with Todd Golden. I think his defense is fantastic. And they've done a you know, a borderline excellent job all season defensively, uh, with exception to just a couple games. And, of course, recently, uh, I think anybody listening to this is going gonna, is gonna to go, really, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. I think that they're fantastic over the course of the season. Their body of work defensively is very good. Uh, just my observation of the program has been that Todd Golden is a very good recruiter. Uh, I think that his first year in terms of building connections with prospects from really across the country uh, has been quite impressive. I think kids enjoy talking to him. Uh, he's a relatable coach. He's young. He's fun. Guys like playing for him. Uh, and that matters. And so I, I am not hitting the panic button like I think a lot of people have uh, at this point. I think that there is room to improve. Uh, Florida will need to be a better offensive team moving forward. Uh, we'll see how Todd Golden does in the transfer portal this offseason. That will be critical to his success at Florida. Uh, but, but do I think that this is a bad year? No, I don't. Uh, could it have been much better? Yes. And I, and I think if you look through the schedule, that really comes down to a couple one-possession games. Florida loses by two points off the top of my head or three points to Auburn. Uh, Florida loses by just a couple points to Texas A&M. FAU was a two-point game. If you flip some of those, it's a much better-looking season. Uh, obviously, a loss is a loss, so we're not going to try and change anything. Uh, but I do think that we were very close to witnessing a, a very good year. And one last thing I'll add is if Todd Golden can win just three more games this season, uh, he will become the first Florida coach to win 10 games in SEC play in his first season at the helm of the school in the last half century. Uh, and that counts for something. So uh, all in all, I think a fine year. Uh, and, and I personally am excited to see where the staff goes. Final moments here with Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, down in Gainesville, covering the Florida Gators. Again, if you missed it, Colin Castleton sustained a broken hand last night in the win over Ole Miss, very likely not only ending his season, but obviously ending his career. And now Florida has to go about trying to replace Colin Castleton for the remainder of this season. Jacob, let's be honest. I mean, the, the NCAA tournament is, is la-la land at this point, but if you put it into perspective, the NIT is very attainable, and the NIT might be something, look, fans don't want to hear this, but a young team like Florida, a young coach like Todd Golden, a tournament like the NIT could potentially be very valuable for next year. There's no question about that, and I think that Florida will do everything in its power to continue to play some extra basketball. 
do I think that it's going to be easy moving forward without Castleton? No. Uh, and, and it could even kind of reshape the outlook for the remainder of the season. Uh, it will be tough for me to really judge Todd Golden by the results moving forward here. I think that without Castleton, it's almost unfair. Uh, but like you said, you know, March basketball is March basketball and Florida will take an opportunity to, to be able to play some of that. Uh, I will also add this, no first year Florida coach ever in the history of the program has reached the NCAA tournament in his first year. Uh, and it appears Todd Golden is going to continue the trend. So uh, no alarms for me at this time. Uh, I think that the NIT, like you said, is a very reasonable opportunity uh, for this team to play a little bonus ball. Uh, and, and, and we'll go from there. I think that this is kind of one of those seasons where uh, a lot has uh, stacked up against Florida. There have been some really bad losses. Now this injury uh, and, and some postseason tournament style play would be nice, I think. Jacob, final question. I'm curious over there in Gainesville. I mean, over here in Jacksonville, it's doom and gloom, right? Jaden Rashada, that fiasco with the football team. You look at the quarterback situation. You look at the schedule coming up. Not a lot of um, positive thoughts about Billy Napier and what he might do in year number two. And then Colin Castleton on the basketball side breaks his hand last night. I mean, at some point, Florida fans probably need some good news because, quite frankly, they haven't gotten a whole lot of it, I guess, since DJ Lagway committed about two months ago. Well, let me, let me provide the distraction. I think that this Florida baseball team, which kicks off its season tomorrow, uh, is truly fantastic. And I am happy to go on the record saying that I think that this is a team that should absolutely contend for a spot in Omaha in the College World Series. Uh, this is one of the best groups that Kevin O'Sullivan has put together, I think, uh, since that, that national championship season in 2017, and perhaps one of his best in his career at Florida, now his 16th season. So, uh, if you're a Florida fan looking for positive news uh, and some something good, for sure good, to follow, I would definitely try and uh, tune into this baseball program as it gets started tomorrow because it really, really does look good. No, that's a good point. There's no question about it. The baseball team with Kevin O'Sullivan has always been very solid, and if you say this might be one of his best, that's saying something. Obviously, they were national champions not all that long ago. Jacob, leave us with this. Spring football on the horizon. That's where everybody is starting to turn their attention. I guess Graham Mertz, right? I mean, that's what you got at quarterback. Is there going to be a competition there with Jack Miller? I mean, what's your thought on that heading into spring ball? It's a good question. I, I don't necessarily think that there's going to be much competition there. I think that this is Graham Mertz's job, and it can only be lost really by an unbelievably surprising performance uh, from Jack Miller. Mertz has experienced. Mertz has seen the college game. Uh, Florida didn't bring him in in order to be a backup. Florida brought him in to be a starter. Uh, and I think that, that it's fair to say that that would be the expectation. Uh, that being said, anything is possible. I think that this is as, as least a sure thing as you can pretty much get. I think that Graham Mertz has a lot to prove uh, throughout spring ball, just in terms of his accuracy. Uh, a lot of talk about how Maybe it wasn't on Mertz that the interceptions were such a problem at Wisconsin. Perhaps it was just on the scheme and the fit. Well, let's see that. I think that that's going to be my biggest question heading into spring ball. And if it is a, still a problem, if it is something that Mertz struggles with himself, how much does Jack Miller step up and make it a battle? So I, I would say that heading into spring ball, no. My, my expectation is not that there's much of a quarterback competition. However, I will couch that by saying that I think it could become one 
depending on performances kind of as we move forward. Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators. Jacob, this is our first conversation. It won't be the last, man. Appreciate your time. We'll talk again soon, my friend. No doubt, Ryan. I appreciate you having me. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go racing today, boys. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. You know, Denmark, I remember a world where I would settle in probably 15, 20 years ago. Well, heck, it had to be over 20 years ago, come to think of it. Golly, 2001. That was a long time ago. Yep. 23 years ago. Then how about that? When Jeff Gordon was in the DuPont Chevrolet, obviously Dale Earnhardt in the Goodwrench number three. Mark Martin driving the Valvoline, and then, of course, the Viagra Ford. I could recite these things over and over and over. Same here. Terry Labonte, Ricky Craven, Bobby Labonte, Ricky Rudd, Ernie Irvin. Man, I was into it. I loved some NASCAR. Loved it. Now, once the NFL came back, I I didn't follow it as much towards the end of the year, but essentially from Daytona on – Sundays, I watched at least part, if not all, of NASCAR. And as I've gotten older and older and older, priorities change. We're just so engrossed by football. And I'm just a big basketball fan, uh, tennis, golf, etc. NASCAR, for whatever reason, has just kept falling down the ladder for me. But I'm almost embarrassed, right? I mean, I'm almost like, holy cow, Monday of this week... When I'm thinking about things to bring up on the shows, it's all I do, right? I love my family, and I think about Hacker After Dark, and occasionally think about Dylan Denmark, and that's kind of my day in a nutshell. And uh, as I'm thinking about the shows this week, I'm like, holy crap, the Daytona 500 is on Sunday, and I didn't even think about it till a couple of days ago. Now, I'm not sure if I'm in the minority there or not, Denmark, you're a NASCAR fan, although yeah. you, used, you used to be diehard like me. Yeah. Why is there just very little conversation? Maybe there is, and I'm just not hearing it, but I get the sense the conversation about the Daytona 500 now compared to even seven, eight years ago is very, very lacking. Well, there's not many big names left anymore. It's like, I don't know, the best way to put it would be like if the NFL had Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and they both retired and there was nobody really behind them. It was a mass exodus. I mean, you had Dale Jarrett and Rusty Wallace and Mark Martin all kind of bailed at the same time. Then Jeff Gordon left and and Junior left and Jimmy Johnson. And then you have Tony Stewart. And then now it's like Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick are the old heads, and now you have like guys like William Byron. They just don't have that same protege, I guess, so to speak. So it's and it's not as entertaining as it used to be. Like I, I don't know. It used to be guys would be three wide most of the race at Daytona and Talladega, and they would be jogging for position for the lead. And now it's like I'm watching the dual race now, and it's mostly single file. Well, I'm and not it's sure. Not as entertaining. And I'm not trying to be the get off my lawn guy here at 39 years of age, but let's be real, it's a generational thing. You know, your dad, your granddad, your uncles, your whomever, older cousins, odds are in Jacksonville and the surrounding area, they were NASCAR fans. Yeah, it was what, uh, it was like 2019, the day 2500, the number one market was this city. Right. 
and and now whether you call it the millennial thing or don't have the attention capacity because we're too busy on our phones, too busy on social media, you know, we don't drink beer and stand out on the porch and watch television where the race is on as much as certainly our our relatives did back in the day. And I do think that has affected the sport. Now, it's still unbelievably popular. I'm not going to say that it isn't. There's going to be thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, it's turned into a corporate event. In Daytona. And look, I'll watch it. I'm excited about it. I still know enough to be able to enjoy it. Although, like I said, I don't know if I could name you 15 drivers. Back in the day, 15 years ago, I could name you all 43 that were in there. There's not a prayer now, of me doing that right now. Back then, did you watch practice and qualifying, or did you watch just the no, races? No, I was just a race guy. Oh, now, okay. I, I would watch the Saturday race beforehand. Yeah, the Bush. The Bush, and then, obviously, the NASCAR deal on Sunday. No, but I was never as into it as watching qualifying or that sort of thing. But, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I, I've lived in Jacksonville since 1995 when I was 11 years old. I'd like to think, and being on the radio for 20 years, I'd like to think that I have a little bit of an idea of what people in Jacksonville are talking about sports-wise, kind of the pulse of the city when it comes to sports. And I feel very little of it when it comes to the Daytona 500. Yeah. Which is shocking because it's an hour down the road on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I think people will watch, but it's not appointment television. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. So, look, I mean, I think Jimmy Johnson's actually racing in this one. He's doing a very limited schedule. Like you mentioned, it's the last run for Kevin Harvick as he's going to join Fox Sports after this year. Uh, So enjoy it. I'm I'm not bashing it at all, man. I love NASCAR. I just do think that from where it was 15, 20 years ago to where it is now. And I, I, we've laid out reasons as to maybe why, but I don't hear near, at least in my circle of friends, the conversation about NASCAR and about the Daytona 500 now as certainly I did a decade or so ago. I hear a lot about the National Football League. I hear that every day. And we bring that to you every day here on Hacker After Dark. Gilbert Manzano, formally out in Los Angeles covering the Chargers and the Rams. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Super Bowl in the rearview mirror. Derek Carr has already been released by the Raiders, and we are 26 days away from the start of NFL free agency. With that, let me welcome in my friend Gilbert Manzano. He used to be our guy out in Los Angeles covering the Chargers and the Rams Now Gilbert's going to be one of our guys covering everybody. A brand new gig with Sports Illustrated and the Monday Morning Quarterback. Gilbert, I saw the news on Twitter. I was pumped for you, man. Congratulations. Hey, Ryan, I appreciate that. You know, I'm still out in L.A., but you're right. You know, I'm covering all 32 teams now. Uh, It's a little surreal to say, you know, it's a national job. You know, when when you look back and you're, you're covering high school sports and you're working multiple jobs just to kind of keep the dream alive, uh, it's pretty surreal to be introduced as a national reporter. No, that's outstanding, man. Uh, you do a great job. You did a great job covering the two L.A. teams, and I have no doubt you'll do a terrific job covering the NFL now as a whole. Gilbert, the Super Bowl in the rearview mirror, uh, a final thought on Kansas City and Andy Reid, Mahomes, everything they did to hoist another Lombardi trophy. It was certainly impressive. 
Yeah, you know, my, my biggest takeaway is just like, you know, if you have a great head coach and Andy Reid and a good play caller as well, and uh, Eric Bieniemy helping out, a uh, great quarterback and Patrick Mahomes, you know, that that's where it really starts because, you know, everybody, you know, I'm not going to add too much uh, to the doubt thing with the Tyreek Hill leaving, but a lot of people thought maybe they took a couple steps back. You know, there'll be a, obviously a playoff team, but are they this the same juggernaut? And maybe they're a little different. Maybe they're not as explosive. But that Super Bowl showed you that they make it work with what they have. And, you know, in the NFL, the salary cap is an issue. You pay your quarterback. And then when you pay the quarterback, everything's an issue. You can't make everybody happy. But the Chiefs figure it out. And when you have guys like Juju Smith-Schuster stepping up in the fourth quarter, Isaiah Pacheco showing that burst, a seventh-round draft pick. And obviously you have Travis Kelsey uh, making things happen, too. That, that makes life easier. Uh, but you see some of these young guys on defense, like Lake Bolton, you know, doing the scoop and score touchdowns. Like It just shows you that they make it work. And when you have the quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, who has a, a, a gimpy ankle, uh, and he's protecting the football, that's all you need. And obviously, it might, but, but I'm going to end with this. You you got to you know give all the credit that you can to Andy Reid because some of these plays he's schemed up to get guys open, uh, like uh, uh, Tony and, and Sky Moore. That was amazing to see you know similar plays on different sides of the field and just to get open because – when you don't have deep threats, you got to get guys open, and that's what Andy Reid did. Yeah, and apparently they took that idea from something the Jaguars did in week four, uh, same yeah. type deal with uh, Jamal Agnew scoring against Philadelphia. Andy Reid, no doubt Gilbert's, uh, he was a Hall of Famer anyway. Now he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But to Mahomes real quick, look, I mean, the young quarterbacks in the AFC are coming. There, there's no question about that. But he goes through Josh Allen in the postseason a year ago. He beats Justin Herbert in the regular season this year. And in the postseason, he goes through Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and then Jalen Hurts on the NFC side to win the Super Bowl. So even though the young quarterbacks are going to be challenging for the next you know, few years, no question, right now it is still Patrick Mahomes' world. Yeah, no, good point saying the young quarterbacks are coming. And in a sense, you know, we talk so much about Patrick Mahomes, but you know, there's a lot of love for the for the young quarterbacks. Like Joe Burrow, you know, had uh, Mahomes' number for a bid. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was doing some great things. Justin Herbert, you know, pushed him a few times in the division. I know that the Chargers come up short sometimes, but they give him a good run there. Uh, and Josh Allen as well, as like you mentioned, there's so many good quarterbacks, especially in the AFC, that, you know, maybe sometimes when you're you're the top dog, you get a little bored. And, and maybe Mahomes and Reed and everybody in KC was welcoming this, this new uh, you know, lineage of, of young quarterbacks are just, you know, doing so well. So uh, it, it always bothered me when the Tom Brady era and the Patriots kept saying, like, nobody count, nobody was believing in us. They all counted us out. Uh, I'm like, who's saying these things? Because you guys are winning every single year. Everybody believes in you guys. But uh, I guess when you're a top dog, especially in the AFC West, I want to say six, maybe seven. I forget division titles in a row. Uh, you get a little bored. So I think for them, they felt motivated. And then, like I mentioned, they got rid of Tyreek Hill. Uh, and people were maybe a little bit saying they're a little off the game. So, uh, but the Mahomes, what we saw in the Super Bowl, like I, I think he learned from that Buccaneer Super Bowl where they had a lot of pressure and, and a lot of things were coming his way, and he couldn't do the highlight throws and, and the razzle dazzle that everybody loves. Uh, he he was efficient. He got the guys open, uh, quick plays, and then just don't make mistakes. And we saw that costly uh, fumble for Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts was amazing in the Super Bowl. But uh, when it's it's so a Super Bowl. You got to make things happen with the running game. Just be efficient. Uh, Mahomes' experience really paid off, and sometimes you don't need to have the highlight throws. Gilbert Manzano, Sports Illustrated, and the Monday Morning Quarterback here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, Gilbert, it wasn't 24 hours after the Super Bowl until here we go. The wheel never stops turning 
and Derek Carr released in Las Vegas. We know that he's already visited New Orleans. We also know that he's got a head start because there's talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill, and then obviously the Lamar Jacksons, Aaron Rodgers of the world. We don't know their futures. There will be some turnover on the quarterback carousel this year. Carr is the first one that is free to sign somewhere else. What are you hearing about Derek Carr and possible destinations? Yeah, you know, Ryan, for my first story to SI, was from, I had to you know, narrow down the best destinations for, for Derek Carr, and it's tough because if you really look at it, like half the league has uncertainty at the quarterback position. Some guys are okay because they might get another year, even, but even though the, the play is a little you know, inconsistent, uh, there, but there's a handful of like, okay, you definitely need to find a quarterback, especially in the NFC South. And, you know, I'll, I'll just start with the South because the Saints are the ones that showed the most interest and when it came to a trade. And, but the thing that really concerns me about the Saints is, like, if you look at their salary cap, you know, they're they're $59 million over the cap. How are you going to make that work? And if you're Derek Carr when you just lost $40 million in guaranteed money because the, the Raiders uh, cut you, you're trying to get that back. So I don't know if that's going to work. And, they, and then if you look at all the cannons that could be cap casualties, it's still not enough for the Saints. So I, I just don't see the money working there unless Carr is really saying, you know what, I'm going to go best fit. I know the coach in Dennis Allen. I really like Alvin Kamara. I like Michael Thomas. They just give me a year to figure it out, and I'll get paid later. That could be the scenario there. But and it, when the Saints had a chance to get them, they didn't work something. Now, that to me is a, a little bit of a red flag. Uh, but if you're a car, you got to ask yourself, do you, do you want the money? Do you want to win? Do you want to go roster? Uh, do you want to get coaching? And it's just tough to see what's out there. And I just go always go back to the New York Jets. I mean, like, you know, I, I narrowed it down to five, but the other four, I'm like, okay, yeah. You know, Ron Rivera and the commanders, like, they've already struck out with Carson Wentz and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do you want to do that again? Uh, the Colts are nice with Shane Steichen, but I think Jay Mercer is done with the QB uh, veteran route and going young. Uh, so maybe the Jets. And, but the thing with the Jets, though, Ryan, is tricky because I think their top dog is Aaron Rodgers. And if you're Derek Carr, are you willing to wait when you already have a month ahead of star? Or, but, even, but I guess trades could happen anytime. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers has that one-week getaway before he decides what he wants to do. So if you're Derek Carr, you're looking at the New York Jets with Garrett Wilson and a good coach and Robert Sala with a good defense, Sauce Gardner, that's probably my best destination for him. Uh, but you got to kind of make – Maybe I'd tell the ego, it's okay if they're going for Aaron Rodgers. And when, when Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are asking for, what, two first-round picks? Who knows? And you're seeing Derek Carr as a free agent and it's going to cost you nothing in trade capital? I say you just do it if you're the Jets. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is about to be sitting somewhere in darkness for five days, <laughs> and then I guess he's going to come out of the darkness and announce his decision, what he intends to do. Gilbert Manzano, Sports Illustrated and the Monday Morning Quarterback, here with us on 1010XL. Gilbert, I want to get to the AFC South, but quickly. Garoppolo, we think, is going to be available. There's talk Ryan Tannehill could potentially be available out of Tennessee, and then we don't know about Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers. So you saw Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson change destinations last year. It could be another very active quarterback market this offseason. Yeah, you know, with the AFC South, it's, it's a little tricky because it, it's, uh, as you know, Ryan, smokescreen season. You don't know what to believe when owners are talking, GMs are talking. They're all going to be talking at the combine, too, in a couple of weeks. And we're all going to try to dissect their words. But, you know, I'll, I'll start with the Colts there. You know, when they introduced Shane Steik and they, they, uh, Jim Mercer kept saying, you know, he likes Bryce Young from Alabama. They have the number four overall pick that they're going to go young. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you didn't really get anywhere with Phillip Rivers. It really went wrong with Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz. So maybe you, this is a year to go young, especially Steichen, who has a reputation of, of building young quarterbacks. I saw him do it with Justin Herbert. We saw it with Jalen Hurts the last few years. So I, I think maybe they might be going a young rookie quarterback there. 
and again with the smokescreen, uh, Mike Vrabel kept saying good things about Ryan Tannehill. Like it sounds like they might try to give it one more year. I don't know why, if you're asking me, but maybe Tannehill might be saved. Obviously, no problem in, with the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, the Texans could be a tricky one too because maybe Derek Carr uh, could be an option there because you know they have they have cap space money. They have money there. You know, Derek Carr grew up in Houston for a little bit, but then if you're if you're talking to your brother for an advice, David Carr, you might say, "Hey, stay away from Houston." So uh, I could definitely see Houston going young as well. So I don't know about the uh, a veteran QB route for these guys, these teams here in the AFC South. Maybe the Titans are more likely, but. After listening to what Mike Brable said, maybe he wants to give it one more year to Ryan Tannehill, but that might be a little risky. Just connecting the dots with D'Amico Ryan's in Houston, does that open the door for Garoppolo to go there and maybe be a stopgap between himself and whoever they draft in the top five? Yeah, you know, that's always kind of the easy connection. You follow guys you know or you bring in guys that you're, 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 you're well accustomed to seeing every single day. But if you're D'Amico Ryan's and you're seeing Kyle Shanahan not really being committed to Jimmy Garoppolo, you're probably saying, yeah, there's a reason for that. You saw him every day in the room. And, you know, if, if you're the Texans and you just want to be competitive or be decent, maybe win eight to nine games, that's maybe a stretch for Jimmy G in that roster. I guess you do it. And, and, but, you know, hopefully the Texans are now saying, hey, after firing two head coaches, first-year head coaches, back-to-back -back seasons, we should give the Nico Ryan's time to rebuild something here. And that usually takes about three years, unless you're Doug Peterson, you make it work in one year. Uh, that's a different story. But uh, you know what? If, if you're a Texas, I say, you know, I think they're the number two pick in the draft. Go get a young quarterback uh, and do it your, your way, Danico Ryan. Don't try to copy Kyle Shanahan's way. So uh, it could be an option. But again, too, like you always need a bridge quarterback. And that's all it is for, for, uh, for Jimmy G. We see Tyrod Taylor do it every single, every single stop he's had. Uh, you know, it tends to do okay for the young rookies, but uh, sometimes when you throw a guy in the fire, uh, that's okay too. Final moments, Gilbert Manzano, Sports Illustrated, and the Monday morning quarterback. All right, Gilbert, I haven't talked to you since Jacksonville did what they did the last two months of the year. You can imagine the excitement in this city heading in to 2023. Season ticket sales, buzz in the city. There, People can't wait for the off-season program to begin on April 17th. That's how fired up they are. What did you take away from Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars and what they did post-Thanksgiving? Yeah, first of all, Ryan, I caught up with uh, Tony Khan, uh, cause he, obviously because his wrestling ties AEW, he loves to talk wrestling with me, and uh, he was just as excited for the Jaguars and, and being lifted off the field by Zay Jones. So uh, I'm sure that was a cool moment. And that place was rocking, by the way, Ryan. Seeing it on TV, I wish I was there to cover that uh, there in Jacksonville. But, yeah, you know, a lot, you know, I'll start with the with the with the Chargers game because when they beat down the Chargers, sorry, the first time, the first Chargers game in the regular season, they beat down the Chargers of SoFi State. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a promising team, and we knew uh, with the, uh, an experienced head coach like Doug Peterson, they they could make it happen. And, and you know, you heard all the story, the bad story, the horror stories of Urban Meyer, and and, and just forget about there. And let's see, let's see what Doug P could do with, with Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence, you know, was his highly decorated quarterback, number one overall pick. And that's what I what I, I was expecting to see. And then after that, it was a bad stretch, as you know, Ryan. I'm like, what happened to this team? Uh, but I guess they just needed to go through those ups and downs. And, and when you hear Doug Peterson talk about, like, yeah, th this team, this organization needed to heal. And maybe it took a little longer than they maybe expected. Or maybe it was much quicker because it was one year when you think about it. But after those kind of ups and downs, to show that fight, to 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 see the Titans have this massive lead in the division, and then just to catch up, chip away every single week, uh, have that must-win game uh, against the Titans to win the division. 
get into the playoffs. You're twenty. You're down twenty-seven to twenty-seven zero uh, before halftime, and you still come back and you win that game. And then you push the Chiefs to, to the to the edge, and that's a very competitive game too. So I think for me, I just take away that this team is fighting. They're a year ahead. Uh, Doug Peterson really kind of changed the culture, and it was it was a year to heal, like he mentioned, and, and get things right. But uh, when I was speaking to Tony Khan, like I told him, hey man, you want to drop a heel promo here, calling out the doubters about the free agency spending <laughs> they did. Go ahead, man, because everybody's making fun of the Christian Kirk pickup. And it was a great signing. So, uh, Trent Baalke, uh, kudos to him, because everybody was making fun of what they were doing. But sometimes, who cares about who's, whose opinion or who's talking about on the outside? Is it what you do on the inside that matters at the end? Gilbert, we're five and a half months away from training camp as we wrap up with you. But you're already seeing it on power rankings that are coming out. Uh, guys talking about quarterback rankings for next year. People love Jacksonville. And I imagine... When preseason publications come out, you guys at Sports Illustrated, uh, not to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine you guys are going to love the Jaguars as well. Any concern that the team going from the Hunter to the Hunted, still a relatively young team that's only had one year of success, concerned that any of this might go to their head uh, this offseason? Maybe a little bit, and you're right, Ryan, you know, covering the Chargers for four years, they were always a trendy pick to, to make some noise, and for some reason, they never became that team, you know. I know they made the playoffs and and, and got to the Jacksonville Jaguars game, but still, there was the same same old Chargers blowing it when it, when it matters, so you got to get over the stigma, and, and sometimes you got to get over your hype, too, uh, and everybody's going to be picking the, the, the Jaguars in the AFC South, and it's a, you know, it's an easy division for them. Uh, but as you know, Ryan, that the, the NFL is always changing. You think you have a massive window, you, you're, the future is bright, and then you never get back to the dance or you never get back to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, but I think when you have a, a head coach like Doug Peterson, he's going to make sure everybody's in check and, and bringing back that fire because uh, to lose to the Chiefs in the second round, maybe that's all the motivation you needed because it was, hey, you know what? We belong here. We want big-eyed. Uh, we, we stay with this team until the end. So I think maybe that's enough for them to say, hey, let's come back. Uh, maybe a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't make this comparison. But you know what? With, with Josh Allen and the Bills, they kept losing the cheese and they kept trying to come back. Uh, but they still haven't got to that next step. But all you can do is win a division and get back to the tournament. So I, I don't see that being an issue with the Jaguars. Yeah, obviously you got some holes to fill there. Uh, but it might not be the sexiest kind of problem, like the, the core or the nucleus that they have there. But when you got, like I mentioned with Patrick Mahomes, when you have Trevor Lawrence and a good quarterback and a good coach, you tend to make things uh, better for you. Yeah, certainly some big questions for the Jaguars. Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, Arden Key, just to name a few, scheduled hit free agency here in the next three and a half weeks. Gilbert Manzano, now of Sports Illustrated and the Monday morning quarterback. Gilbert, again, congratulations on the gig, brother. That's awesome. We'll talk to you down the line. We always appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for the support. Uh, I love talking to you, man. Appreciate it. I'm Gilbert's now national. He's now our guy with Sports Illustrated and the Monday morning quarterback. We'll congratulate him on the new gig. We'll talk Jaguars offseason. We'll talk big NFL storylines going into the offseason with my friend Gilbert Manzano of Sports Illustrated. That is next on a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. And thank you to my man Gilbert Manzano, now of Sports Illustrated and the Monday morning quarterback for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Again, congratulations to Gilbert on the new gig. He did a terrific job covering both the Rams and the Chargers out there in Los Angeles, and I know he'll do a great job covering the league as a whole. And you heard him. He is very, very high on the Jacksonville Jaguars heading in to this offseason, an offseason that, believe it or not, 
is really starting to pick up momentum. The Combine, two weeks away. Free agency, 25 days from today. And then all of a sudden, we'll find ourselves in mid to late March. And the Jaguars report back to work on Monday, April the 17th. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Again, Gilbert Manzano of Sports Illustrated and the Monday Morning Quarterback. Thank you to Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators and, of course, the Colin Castleton injury last night for the basketball team. Just a tough, tough deal. Best player on the team, not even close. Sustains a broken hand in the win over Ole Miss, likely ending his season and likely ending his career as a Florida Gator. So thank you to Jacob for joining us tonight over there in Gainesville. And my man Matt Hayes, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also read his terrific work on SaturdayDownSouth.com as we touched upon everything from Georgia to Florida State, SEC, conference expansion, and, of course, a little bit of the Florida Gators. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week, and we hope you join us beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green in Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.